Father, I want to praise you for your grace and your mercy that's poured out on us. And I want to thank you that because of your great grace in Jesus, that we now have peace with God. We're all rebels, we're all disobedient, we're all sinners. But I thank you that Jesus made a way for us to have peace with you. Father, I thank you that Jesus made a way for us to have peace with one another. I remember Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we, your people, would be one just as you are one. And so, Father, I pray that we would love your work in our brothers and sisters, those that are in this room and those that are scattered throughout this community. Specifically this morning, I pray for Pastor Bob Arthur's and the Merit Assemblies of God, Father, that you would pour your power out on them. And Lord, I ask that by your grace, they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And may that church be built up, Father, this morning by the preaching of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. And we certainly pray the same for us. God, thank you for your word. We look forward to hearing from you through it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I think we all know that our culture has gone a little overboard with the warning labels. You guys, you guys agree on that because of all the lawsuits that roll around all of the time? It seems like every manufacturer has to plaster some warning label or another on every product that they make. And most of the time, it seems like some irresponsible person has misused that product to such a degree that the, the manufacturer has been forced through litigation to put some crazy crazy warning label on it. And so rather than us taking personal responsibility, and this is a whole other sermon, uh, we've now just placed responsibility on all these warning labels on everything. And I've got to tell you, when I read a warning label on any product, um, I find myself often imagining what the scenario must have been like to cause that manufacturer to slap that label onto that product. So just imagine some of these scenarios. I'm going to share some of my favorite warning labels with you this morning and just, just imagine what this must have been like uh, to cause the, the manufacturer of these products to put these labels on their goods. Listen to this one. This was a warning label on a portable stroller. Caution, remove infant before folding for storage, right? <laughs> Bob, where's Johnny? Oh, I think he's in the garage folding in the stroller. Uh, on the sun shield that, that we put in our car, here, you guys have probably seen this one. Do not drive with sun shield in place. Wow, where'd he go? And, 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 and apparently you had to pass a test to get your driver's license. But um, there, there's this one on, an, on a hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping. <laughs> hmm, interesting. On a microwave oven, I like this one. Do not use for drying pets. Okay, so just in case, I, hmm, I don't even want to imagine that one. Hey, Bobby, let me see your hamster. Um, here, this one was apparently on a toilet bowl cleaning brush. Yeah, yeah you got there before I did. Uh, do not use orally. <laughs> How big is your mouth? Uh, 
this is kind of a similar one, on a box of bottle rockets, do not put in mouth, right? That's okay. Uh, I like this one. I don't like this one, but it's interesting. On a chainsaw, do not attempt to stop the blade with your hand. (laughs) I know that oak couldn't stand up to it, but maybe my flesh and blood would. Uh, Here's this one. On the wrapper of a fruit roll-up snack, it, it says, remove plastic before eating, right? I got to tell you, when I'm hungry, I'm not so sure that that one applies. Here's my all-time favorite warning label. I've shared this one with you before. It was found, apparently, on a toilet at a public sports facility in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Quote, this this is incredible. Recycled flush water is unsafe for drinking. <laughs> That's the University of Michigan for you folks. And it explains an awful lot. Um, so anyhow, here's the problem with all of those excessive warning labels and everything. It contributes to this nonchalance that we seem to have toward all warning labels. And the problem with that is that every warning label isn't excessive. As a matter of fact, some warning labels should never, ever be ignored. And the reason I bring all of that up is because in the passage of scripture we'll look at this morning, there is a warning label in this scripture. And it's motivated by God toward us as his people. And I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to overlook it. I don't want us to neglect it. It is not Excessive. We should see the seriousness that should be in our hearts this morning as we come to the Lord's Supper as a church family. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 27. And I just want to encourage you, keep your eye out for the warning here and, and see how the Holy Spirit might use this in your life. Verse 27 says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone, now listen to this, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is the word of God for us this morning. And I hope you notice that warning label right there. In verse 29, it says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Do you hear that? This is talking directly about a church coming together around the Lord's Supper and participating in communion in the wrong manner. And what Paul says here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God is that a wrong approach to the Lord's Supper had resulted in the weakness, the sickness, and even the death of some early Christians. God, he says, disciplined his children because they had a selfish, sinful approach to the Lord's Supper. Let let that sink in for just a moment. There should be a seriousness to our hearts. There there should be an examination 
Paul says, to our motives, to our, our actions when we come to the Lord's Supper, to the extent that we are reminded that God at some point in time has so taken the message of the Lord's Supper and the meaning of the Lord's such, Supper with such seriousness that in discipline to his kids, he has allowed some of them to become weak and some of them to become sick and and. and Verse 29 actually says some of them to even become dead. Now that is a heavy thing for us to consider and here's, here's the deal. That's why for three weeks this last summer we looked each week at the clearest passages of scripture that teach us about the Lord's Supper. We, we, we wanted to take with seriousness what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper because God takes with seriousness what he has said about the Lord's Supper. And because it's so important, what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm actually gonna condense those three weeks of study from the summer as another reminder about the Lord's Supper before we partake as a church family. And so let's start with Paul. Paul's instruction back in chapter 10. Go one chapter back in 1 Corinthians 10. And I want to see how Paul starts this instruction concerning the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Verse 17, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Stop right there. The first thing you need to know about the Lord's Supper is this. It is a sign of our participation in the blood and body of Jesus. So what we're getting ready to do is a sign of our individual and our corporate participation in the blood and body of Jesus. The blood represents the life of Jesus and the kind of death that Jesus died. Here's what you need to know about the life of Jesus. It is a perfect, sinless life. Jesus is the only person who has ever lived on the face of this earth, who lived a totally perfect, pleasing life before God the Father. Jesus lived the life that you and I can't live. We are all broken in our sin. We all have failed to be conformed to the purposes and plans of God in our life. And in our sin and rebellion, we've broken God's design for humanity. And Jesus came to live the life that you and I could not live. And in his life, you know that it culminated with his death. And the blood of Jesus signifies the kind of death that Jesus died. And Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus was offered up as a payment for your sin and mine. So as you struggle with your own brokenness and you struggle with your own sin, the blood of Jesus is a reminder that God in his grace made a way for the debt of your sin to be paid and for all your your brokenness to be healed and for all of your sin to be forgiven. So as you come to this table, you're holding up in these elements a sign that is saying I'm a participant 
in the blood of Jesus, which is saying, I am trusting by faith that Jesus lived the life I couldn't live, a life that totally pleases God and is perfect. And in his death, he died the death I should have died as a payment, as a penalty for my own sins so that I could be forgiven by God the Father. These elements, this this table is a sign that we hold up saying, I am a participant in the blood of Jesus and I'm a participant in his body. The body of Jesus is now the church. It's the people of God. We are the body of Christ. That's why verse 17 says, we who are many are one body. And so when we participate in this, we're not only saying, I'm trusting in Jesus to have lived the perfect life I couldn't live and died the death I should have died and raised to life in a brand new victorious way. I'm also saying that I am in fellowship. I am united with every other person who is trusting in Jesus in that same way. I am saying I am a participant in the body of Jesus. Not not that I show up to an event as a spectator, but that I come to a family gathering as a participant. So so the, the Lord's Supper is a sign that we hold up and it says, I am a participant. I am trusting by faith in the work of Jesus to live the life I couldn't live, to die the death I should have died, and to have placed me in this family of believers as part of his body. So it's a sign. What's what's the first thing that the the, the Lord's Supper is? It's a a sign. Okay, so here's here's what you need to be aware of. We all are familiar with signs. Okay, we're familiar with signs. So I was, I was out on 528 yesterday um, and I had a, a, a good friend um, who had a, a flat tire um, that he couldn't fix himself. Uh, and I'm not gonna tell you who he is, but he's sitting right over and he's my brother-in-law. And um, uh, no, he couldn't fix it because it was blown. I had to go pick him up. Anyhow, long story, so I'm over there where there are signs on 528. There's a sign there that said Orlando and it, and it had a number by it, like 17. And, and you guys know what that sign is, right? It's a sign that points you to Orlando. But I couldn't, I could not say that just because I was standing by the sign that said Orlando, that I had been in Orlando, right? No, because it's a sign that points to Orlando. Here's one that the good Baptists may understand a little bit more. I also went to the donut shop this weekend, okay? And so at the donut shop, here's what they have. They have little signs in front of the donuts. And I'm glad... <laughs> Uh, because sometimes you wonder, no, is that, is that custard filled or cream filled? And I need to know there's difference there. So they have those things. Well, I like a, I like a, I like a good, uh, chocolate covered custard filled donut. Okay. And so I always say, Hey, I love that sign. Hey, give me one of those donuts. Here's the deal. They don't give me the sign, right? They give me the donut. I want to walk out of the shop with the real thing, not the sign that points to the real thing. It's the same thing with my wedding ring, right? My wedding ring is a sign that I am married. But if you say, hey, tell me about your wife. And I say, oh, it's 14 karat gold. And I probably need to get it re-dipped because it's sort of losing its color. You'd be like, no, no, hold on. I'm not talking about the sign. I'm talking about your wife. Well, here's the deal. As we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a sign that we are participating in the work of Jesus Christ. But taking this bread and this juice is not the same as the real thing. It's trusting in Jesus. So beware of holding up the sign this morning 
without having experienced the real thing, which is faith and dependence in the work of Jesus. So if someone says, hey, how do you know you're gonna be right with God? How do you know heaven is your home? How do you know that you'll be okay for all of eternity? Don't say because I took the Lord's Supper. Don't say because I was baptized or I came to church or I read my Bible or I did any good thing. Don't stop with the sign. Go all the way to the real thing and say, because Jesus lived the life I cannot live and he died the death I should have died. He was raised again to brand new life and he has given me the ability to be forgiven of my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus. You get that church? Hold up your signs this morning and remember there's signs And they better point to the reality that your heart is trusting in Christ. Now go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to start reading in verse 23. And I'm going to show you three more things that are true about the Lord's Supper. So look at verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a sign and also the Lord's Supper is a reminder of Jesus' work. And we've told you before on multiple occasions, the word you in those verses is a plural word you or a plural form of you. It's the same as here in Florida saying all y'all, right? So we, we, we just refer to that as all y'all around here. And what Jesus is saying is, I am dying for all y'all. I'm dying for all y'all. And so Jesus says, listen, I am dying so that my blood will reconcile you to God. And I am dying so that my blood will reconcile all of y'all to God. And that my blood will reconcile all of y'all to all of y'all. I don't even know that made sense. It felt so right. Here's the deal. That's why division is so dangerous in a church. It's because it absolutely, totally betrays the gospel. It totally runs counter to the truth of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Namely, we'd be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. And so when we gather in a building like this, even though we're all under the same roof, it doesn't mean we're all on the same page. That's why we preach the gospel to one another and the gospel that Jesus preached was that he was dying for all y'all. So think of it this way. When Jesus chose a way for his followers to be reminded of what he was gonna do for them, he sat a bunch of them down around a table and he said, hey guys, this bread represents my body and it's broken for all y'all. And this cup represents my blood. It establishes a new covenant that's built around grace and mercy and forgiveness. Hey guys, remember that. This covenant is built around grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's for all y'all. So Peter, I'm dying for you, but I'm not just dying for you. I'm dying for all them too. And guys, I'm not just dying for you. I'm dying for every one of you. I'm dying for one another. So, So here's what he's saying in this. So hey guys, before you hold a grudge or before you think that your problem is more important than everyone else's problem or your pain is more important than everyone else's pain or, or God forbid, your opinion is more important than everybody else's opinion. Remember something, Jesus said, I'm dying for them just as much as I'm dying for you. And that's critical, guys. 
Remember, Jesus died for you and he died for all of the people around you just as much as he died for you. He loves them every bit as much as he loves you. He wants them to be well every bit as much as he wants you to be well. And you only, you only reflect God's heart as you approach this table when you begin to express care and concern for the people around you as much as you are concerned about yourself. That's the gospel. And so when we say it's a reminder of Jesus' work, you have to ask yourself, what work does it remind us of? And what it reminds us of is that Jesus didn't just die for me. He died for all y'all knuckleheads too. So when my dad was away, um, The mouse did play, okay? So here's the story. Five boys, dad wasn't around all day, every day because he had to go to work. Well, dad would, would, he would go away. Uh, He'd be be gone through the day. During the summer, we would get home from school before he would get home from work. Um, and, And here's the deal is we did not always treat each other the way that we should as boys. Just gonna, gonna go ahead and throw that out as a little form of confession before I take the Lord's Supper, okay? Uh, we, we did some pretty incredible things to each other. And there was this one, um, there was this one idea that would come into our minds every now and then as we were getting ready to do something particularly bad. And the thought was this, dad's coming home, may not want to do that. You guys ever had that feeling? Dad's coming home. Because it wasn't no thing for dad to whip you. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't no thing for dad to whip you. So, so here's the deal. As during our day, sometimes we would get ready to go off on some crazy tangent or errand or some peculiar way of treating one another. And, and one of us remember, hey man, dad's coming home. And the reminder of dad caused us to think about how we should treat each other. Does that make sense? And when we remember Jesus as we come to the Lord's Supper, it should trigger in our minds how we're called to treat each other. Remember Jesus. It's not just that Jesus died for me. He did die for me. But what a self-centered view of the gospel when all I can think of is Jesus died for me. Woohoo! Jesus died for you, brother. He died for you, sister. And the gospel is meant to be shared in a community of believers who celebrate Christ. So it's a reminder of Christ, his work for us and not just me. So think about what's happening in the Corinthian church. Paul is confronting here in chapter 11 the self-centeredness of all these Christians who are coming to the Lord's Supper and they're so self-centered, all they can think about is themselves. So there are some people who are running to the table and they're eating all the bread and drinking all the wine. You must not be Baptist. Just kidding. (laughs) It just weren't. Baptist deacons. So this, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. So, so the, the story is this. They come together and they're selfish. And, and Paul says, hey, hey guys, hey guys, in all your selfishness to only be concerned about you, you forgot, you've forgotten one little element over here. This sign that you're holding up that says you're a participant in the work of Jesus Christ is a reminder that Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for everyone around you. So why are you acting like it's all about you? 
And not only is it a reminder of that fact, it becomes then, look at verse 26, a proclamation of that fact. Look at verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, you know what that word you is there? All y'all, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's supper is a proclamation of the gospel. The word proclamation means to preach. This morning, you guys get to preach You excited about that? Hope you studied. You get to preach and what you get to proclaim is the gospel. You get to proclaim the gospel. Now, who do you get to proclaim the gospel to? Yourself and one another. That's the design as we gather around this table, we're sharing with ourselves and one another, Jesus died for us. Hey brother, Jesus died for us. So we're gonna include that proclamation as an aspect of our our Lord's Supper this morning. But look at verse 27 for the last thing that we'll see here. Verse 27 says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. You can see that now. When you come and, and, and this is not you proclaiming that you're trusting in Jesus, this is not you proclaiming that you're, you, you acknowledge his, his death wasn't just for you, it was for those around you, and so you're living in a way that reflects care and love and concern and grace and mercy and forgiveness to the people around you. When you, when you come and you don't care to meet the needs of others around you because all you can care about is yourself, that's an unworthy manner. He says, and if you come in an unworthy manner, you're guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then in regards to that. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Here's the fourth thing. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity to examine our relationships with one another. Specifically, it's an opportunity to examine whether or not we are discerning the work of Jesus for one another. That's the word Paul uses. That word discern means to evaluate by paying careful attention to something. In this case, it's the body. And the body here refers to the church. We just saw that in chapter 10. So we are called to pay careful attention to the church. And is he talking about the building? No, which is why you shouldn't be counting how many lights we have in here right now. By the way, there are 73. I know, not that I know, I'm just kidding. No, we're called to pay attention to the church. The church is what? It's the people. It's a way to say we're called to pay close attention to one another, to be attentive to one another's needs, to be careful, to love and minister and care for one another as you come to the table. And so this morning, if we're gonna come to the table, in a way that reflects the meaning and message of the Lord's Supper, then we have to have gospel hearts that are trusting in Jesus, saying this is a sign that I'm a participant in the work of Christ through faith. And by his grace, he's placed me in this body. And so I'm gonna remember that his work is for me, but not just for me. So I have no right to hold a grudge. I have no right to have an unforgiving or a bitter spirit. I have no right to have my feelings hurt because everything didn't go my way. I have no right to to harbor an anger because in my opinion or in my preference, things should be like this. 
And so we come to proclaim and not just remember that about the gospel to one another, to pay attention to one another. As we come to the table, we proclaim the gospel to each other and we pay attention to one another, not just ourselves. And that's why we wanna incorporate those into the way we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I'm gonna lead us into a time of reflection. But before I do, I just want you to see those four purposes of the Lord's Supper. I think we have a slide for this. The Lord's Supper is a sign of our participation in the blood and the body of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of Jesus' work for us. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation, a preaching of the gospel. And the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to examine our relationship to one another. And in light of those things that we see in this text, we're gonna spend a few moments to prepare our hearts before we take the bread and juice to celebrate the Lord's Supper that way. So here's the first thing we're gonna do. I wanna give you an opportunity to think about your personal relationship with Jesus. So so I'm gonna ask you just quietly right there, would you think about your personal relationship with Jesus? First, are you genuinely trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone to make you right with God the Father? Do you believe that he lived the life you couldn't live, a perfect life? That he died the death you should have died as a payment for your sin? And that he rose again from the grave to give his life to you? If you have never called on Jesus to save you, right there at your seat, I pray you're stirred already to call on Jesus, confessing your sin and brokenness your inability to be perfectly pleasing to God. Confess your faith in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and call on Christ to save you, to save you by his grace. Some of you may say, I am already trusting in Christ. And for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, I want you to just, would you spend a few moments right there as you're praying and pray a prayer of thanks to God. Would you thank God for loving you when you didn't love him? Would you thank God for showing you mercy and grace? Would you thank God for completely forgiving all of your sin? Would you thank God that every part of your salvation depends on Jesus and not your good works? And would you right now thank God for the person who was most influential in you coming to faith in Jesus? Father, I wanna thank you for the work of Christ that we get to participate in. Thank you that he lived the life we can't live. The perfect life that all of us have failed to live up to. We've blown it, God, we've blown it. Thank you that you show us mercy and grace and you love us even when we didn't love you. Thank you that you provide complete and total forgiveness for all our sin. Father, I thank you that every single part of our salvation depends on Jesus and not our good works. God, I wanna thank you for those people that influenced us, that you used to bring us to a knowledge of the gospel 
so that the Holy Spirit would bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you for Jesus this morning. Amen. But Jesus didn't just die for me. He died for us, right? So we want to be a part of the work of Christ in one another's life. And here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next few moments just briefly sharing gospel work with one another. And, and here's, here's how I want you to start thinking about that. It may be the person who's sitting right next to you. It could be your spouse, your children, your family, your friend. And I want you to feel the freedom. If you feel led to, to pray with someone who's in the balcony and you're on the floor, feel free to spend that time with them. You guys can, can get into groups as you feel led. Um, but I want you to think about these. Maybe there's someone you know who needs to know they're not alone. Maybe you sat down this morning in a pew with someone that you could tell came by themselves and God's calling you just to go next to them and say, you know, can I pray with you? And, and, and I'll, I'll share with you more about that in a moment. Maybe there's someone who needs to know that they're forgiven. Maybe they need to know that they're forgiven by you. And if God prompts you, be obedient and don't allow grudges to be held in your heart. Go to that person, let them know that you don't want any unforgiveness to be present because Jesus died for you and for them. Someone you, you may know is going through a hard time and you're the body of Christ. And so maybe God's calling you to go to someone who's going through a hard situation and just encourage them that Jesus came to mend us and heal us and make us right. And I wanna just say this before we pray in ones or twos, threes, fours, however the Holy Spirit leads you to to pray in this. I wanna just say a word to to those of you who are guests. Um, For those of you that are visiting, I want you to know we do not want you to feel uncomfortable at all. That is not at all the intention of our heart. And I understand that you're new in this place and you may feel uncomfortable praying with someone you've never met or, or, or someone that, that, that you, you just, you've, you've, you've not known for more than just a few moments. And, and if you're visiting here this morning, if you feel uncomfortable with that, I want you to know we're gonna respect that, that if you say, I would rather just observe this by myself or I just would quietly like to bow my head and, 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 and think about this or observe this, we respect that fully and completely. We do not want you to feel uncomfortable, but we do want you to know this. We are a church family. You, you joined us this morning and we're a church family and we love each other. Amen. And we want to love you because God has loved us and he's loved you. And so if you do feel comfortable with someone praying with you and they ask, may I pray with you? You can say no and we'll respect that. Or you can say yes. And I'm going to give you some things that you may want to even consider. Uh, up here on, on the screen, You may want to just go to someone and say, would you like for me to pray for you? And if they say no, don't badger them, okay? Be kind and gracious. You don't know what's going on in their heart. If they say yes, you may ask the next question, what need could I pray about? And just listen to what they may share. They may say, I don't really have a need. I just am thankful for what God has done in my life. But we want to go to that next phrase. And this is proclaiming the gospel to each other. You might say something like this. That's why we need Jesus. That's why the Father sent us Christ. We need him and his life-giving power in this. Because let me tell you something, no matter what you're going through, that's true. That's why we need Jesus. We proclaim the gospel to each other. And then a prayer as simple as this, Father, thank you for Jesus. 
We believe he lived the life we can't live. He died for our sin and brokenness and he rose again to give us victorious life. And we thank you for the work of Jesus for us. It can be that simple. And I'm not saying you have to say those words. You have to pray that prayer. But that might jumpstart some of your thinking for those of you who may say, I'm not quite sure what I would say. We're gonna leave that on the screen. We're gonna spend about four or five minutes probably with one another. But would you break up into groups of maybe two and you can feel comfortable three or four. And of course, if you feel like you just aren't comfortable praying with someone else, we do understand that and are are patient with that as well. So let's be the church to one another this morning before we take the Lord's Supper.